Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. Starting with some of the biggest music stories of 2023. And here now to help us unpack some of that is Eric Alper. He's a music journalist here in Canada. He has fantastic uh, Twitter following and he is very knowledgeable when it comes to all this stuff. And he's always a great guest on the show. Good morning, Eric. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, and thanks also for letting me know that today's Friday. I think I've lost all mentions of whatever day it is of the week after Christmas. Oh. It just, it's it's Monday, Wednesday through Friday day. It, for sure. It, it's, it blends. If, so I, for that. if I wasn't on the radio, I also wouldn't know what, what day <laughs> it is. So you're, you're totally forgiven. Um, so what did you think of 2023 as a year in music? There were some big stories, hey? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think, you know, the biggest story of them all might be the biggest story of the last 60 years. And that's Taylor Swift. I mean, she dominated in every aspect that she decided to put her power into. In fact, this week, more than 2 million vinyl records were sold in the United States and Taylor Swift sold 10% of all the vinyl records in America sold in 2023. So not only is she selling vinyl, but she had four of the top 10 biggest selling albums of the year. She's got the very first billion dollar grossing tour. She actually helped increase the GDP in the U.S. by 4% one day when those tickets for her Eras tour went on sale. She had the number one movie for a couple of weeks at the box office when that came in. Um, so she, you know, I mean, look, if she can make the NFL ratings rise about 12% year on year, whenever the Kansas City Chiefs game comes on, um, there wasn't anything that she didn't do successfully in 2023. It really is. When you, when you list all of that stuff off, incredible when you think about you know her, her year. Any artist that could accomplish any one of those things would be huge news. And the fact that she pulled all of it off with you know very little scandal or pushback yeah. whatsoever. And you know to, by, by all accounts, the tour is incredible. The albums are great. You know, the movie was great. All of these things, you know, it's like she's got the Midas touch. Yeah, exactly. And there's only one of her. You know, when I mentioned about, you know, the first time, you know, that she might have had the best year in 60 years, I'm kind of just thinking about Beatlemania in 63, 1964. Like, this is bigger than Michael Jackson's Thriller. And I, I get it. I lived during that time. That was pretty big. The album Thriller was just a massive success and changed music, video, and culture. But her ability, though, to touch on so many other topics, whether it was the, the touring aspect of it, the the movie theater business, the NFL ratings, when she posted on Instagram to her 300 plus million followers um, that people should make sure that they can register to vote in 2024 in the U.S. presidential elections, um, the, the right to vote campaign had over 300,000 new registrants. So she's got this ability to move the needle that not only is she kind of changing the world in her own little way, um, she's also changing the music industry because there are so many other artists that are going to follow in her footsteps. 
up to try to do and replicate what she was able to do. Yeah, and the the story that you know it almost gets lost amidst everything that she's doing. But the and she's been doing this more than just this year. But her taking back her her music, re-recording her albums, you know, like is that totally unprecedented? Had anyone ever tried to do anything like that before? Artists have tried to do that mostly in this in the eighties and nineties, and and one of the big reasons was, in fact, there was a local band called Loverboy that I'm sure a lot of people know. Um, they went back and re-recorded one of their biggest songs when it was um, accepted for a commercial, and so what they tried to do was not use the master recording. That's the original version of I think it was Working for the Weekend that we all know and love. But the band went back into the studio and. Re- recorded that song so that they got the money for it rather than the record label. But since Taylor Swift went back and has now re-recorded at least five of her successful albums because she didn't own those rights to the master recordings of them, um, Universal Music, her record label, um, actually has now put in contracts that artists cannot do a re-recording for at least 25 years. And wow. that's something where they don't want to get burned again by, say, the Rolling Stones re-recording their hits or their albums or even, you know, a Paul McCartney to go back and re-record or Beyonce or or. Billie Eilish, like they want to make sure that they're actually closing this loophole because Universal or any record label, they're not getting the profits from this. It all goes to the artist. Wow, like such a threat to an entire industry. Taylor Swift. I mean, it like that story to me is incredible. The fact that she went ahead and did that. And, you know, I thought to myself, I'm like, I don't really care if I hear Cruel Summer. It doesn't really matter to me, the end user, who who owns the rights to that and who gets paid. Taylor Swift is rich. The record company is rich, whatever. But people went with it. You know, people really, really said, okay, we love this woman. We want to support her and we're going to rebuy or repurchase or listen to these versions. And yeah, man, what a, what an incredible thing for her to do. Yeah. Especially because you just mentioned it. It's, it's these, these fan base that want to support their artists. And we, we saw that bigger and better in 2023. When you have artists like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, both at the top of the charts, around weeks from one another, um, that just shows you that, you know, some of these bands, as big as Beatlemania was, as big as the Stones were in the 70s, both bands actually might be more popular. Certainly they might be more listened to, thanks to Spotify and YouTube and streaming services, having music at all of our disposals at our fingertips. So there's artists that haven't been around, in the case of the Beatles, that literally created worldwide headlines when they're last song now and then came out using AI technology to separate John Lennon's murky vocals from this long gone forgotten cassette tape. Um, It seemed like for 24 hours, the Beatles were the biggest band in the world. And that doesn't happen unless those fans over the course of 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, since the breakup of the band, continues to listen to their music. And I think, you know, somebody like a Taylor Swift or Beyonce, we're going to be talking about them forever, for the rest of our lives, because they have just managed to reach the the summit where not only are we going to continue to watch what they do, um, but these new kind of teenagers that are listening to Billie Eilish for the first time or SZA or, um, you know, uh, Jason Aldean, uh, they're always going to be listening to them forevermore too. 
Yeah, absolutely. It really is an incredible time for music. And you touched on something that I wanted to ask you about. Uh, the Beatles releasing their last song, as, as they sort of called it, using AI to kind of uh, pull some some John Lennon lyrics. And I hope I'm, I'm explaining it properly, mm-hmm. but to pull some, some John Lennon lyrics to finish a song that had sort of been started but didn't get finished. I, I Initially, when this came out, some people sort of thought, is it is it kind of sacrilegious to use AI where, you know, th- like this is John Lennon we're talking about here. Yeah. Is he rolling over in his grave? How do you feel about that? Are you like, hey, th- who cares? We got a new Beatles song? Or is this kind of <laughs> fall in the sacrilegious kind of uh, f- a little bit icky camp for you? When word came out from Paul McCartney himself that they were using AI technology to go back in the studio and work on a song that... Um, that at the time, the three living Beatles of George Harrison, Paul, and Ringo Starr were working on during the 1990s editions of the anthology album. They had two songs, they had three songs that they were kind of working on. One of them was Free as a Bird, which came out, which did okay. The other one that they tried to work on, but they couldn't find the, 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 the technology to kind of clean up John Lennon's vocals. And I think it freaked a lot of people out because they were like, wait a second, are they going to get John Lennon to sing lyrics that he never sung before? Because we've heard, you know, some producers that were nameless and faceless getting Drake to sing David Bowie songs right. or that duet with Drake in the weekend that never existed but ended up getting like 150 million streams on on streaming services. So when the song came out and they explained a little bit more, I think it made a lot of sense to people, which is that technology, and first of all, the Beatles were always at the forefront of using technology. I mean, you listen to Revolver, Sgt. Pepper. I mean, they were like kids in a candy store when it came to working in the studio. Um, They just had this cassette tape, but the piano that John was playing on was kind of bleeding into the vocals, and it was murky. It was dusty. It sounded like a cassette tape from 1975 that was sitting in a closet all these years. Um, but they were able to use technology in to separate everything. It's kind of like a cake where AI enables you to separate the eggs and the butter and the wheat and everything and put it all together again and make a new cake. And that's exactly what this song now and then um, became. It was just the ability to, to clean up some of the, the, the noises that they didn't want. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time for the technology to catch up. And that's exactly what happened this year. Yeah. And I, I mean, to me, it's like, hey, we got another Beatles song, right? This was yeah. written by the Beatles. It sounds like John. Paul McCartney is behind it. You know, he to me is, uh, if he says it's cool, I'm cool with it. Right. Um, and, and all those people that were watching the Get Back documentary when we were all still stuck inside during COVID in right. isolation, that was the use and the start of the AI technology for the group because Peter Jackson, the director of that documentary, which was like six hours long, um, was able to, to kind of have. You know, scenes where John and Paul were hidden away in a corner, far away from the microphones and the camera, but picked up well enough that with the use of technology, it made it sound like they were literally in our living rooms, and that's how this technology is going to be used. Yeah, it's incredible. And I want to touch on one more story with you, Eric, before we let you go. But the, one of the, another thing that I thought was just huge in 2023 was this story of Oliver Anthony, this guy who none of us had heard of, 
And he was not the first person to record a song on YouTube and just po- let it get posted up there. But his story, for whatever reason, cut through like so few others have. And, you know, he, there's this talk him getting like $8 million contract offers, yeah. tours, all the, just because of one song, uh, like sitting on his front lawn playing a guitar, you know, like it's pretty that that story really got me. Yeah, especially because, you know, things don't happen in a vacuum. So when you hear all of the political hoopla of Jason Aldean's Try That in a Small Town and the amount of 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 kind of popularity it got from, you know, the 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 one side of the political spectrum of the Republican um lovers and then the other side of the Democrats just hating that song. Um then you have the success of somebody like Morgan Wallen, who was canceled for saying the N-word on video, but, you know, Radio Soul continue to play him now. He's got the sec- the first and the third biggest selling record of the year. Then you have Oliver Anthony, who comes out with a song called Richmond North of Richmond, and, you know, the, 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 the kind of you know, Republican sides were like, yeah, this is what we're talking about. This is a song for us. We're going to support this. Until like three weeks later, Oliver Anthony comes out and says, no, 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 I'm actually talking about you people. And so that's where his career kind of went another direction, because all these people thought that he was making fun of, you know, the the rich Democrat lovers and the liberals and owning them. It actually turned out that he was actually talking about the other side. But yeah, that's just how fast things move in this world where everything happens and nothing sticks. Yeah. And it kind of had this, this feeling of, uh, again, like we're talking about with the Taylor Swift story, the, the creator has the potential to retain some power, you know, that it was just like, I'm going to put this out on YouTube. There's no record label pushing it. No record label, no manager, no booking agent, no money spent in promotion. I mean, that's TikTok. That's the ability that you could have this obscure singer that nobody knows about. All of a sudden one line or even a couple of words from a lyric catches fire. A whole bunch of influencers start doing dances or their own videos to it and suddenly it's on the billboard hot 100 yeah and we saw that a lot too even with old songs which i think is just so 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 cool but um so those are some of the big big stories and i love recapping those and getting your your sort of take on them before we go we just have you know just a minute or two but what was your favorite album of 2023 just your one album that was like this album cut through the most for me Oh, without question, it's this guy named um, uh, Jason Isbell. I love um, Jason who, Isbell, huge yeah, fan. He yeah, he used yeah. to be in a band called the Drive By Truckers, and he put out an album called Weather Vane yep. that if people want to know where all the good music went, I think Jason has it all. It's rock, it's folk, it's blues. It's it's still one of my favorite albums from the day I bought it, and it's it's so good. Um, and he's also in the new uh, the new Martin Scorsese film as well. So that's that's my favorite album called weather veins fantastic yeah he's been described to me as your favorite songwriter's favorite songwriter exactly that's a great analogy for sure and he wrote some of the songs on that morgan wallen album too right yeah, yeah, fantastic, absolutely. fantastic. Eric Alper, he's a music journalist and he knows all of this information. Always a fantastic conversation with you, Eric. Thanks so much for weighing in with us and uh, have a fantastic new year, okay? You too. Thanks so much for having me. We'll definitely talk next year. Welcome back to the Mike Smith Show. I'm Scott Schantz filling in and we're recapping some of our 
favorite things about 2023. And right now we're going to talk about movies. What movies did you see? What did you love? What did you hate? Email me, Scott at CKNW, or you can text 604-331-BUZZ. But let's check in with Kurt Smakel. He's a movie critic and podcast host at 3AngryNerds.com, and he's got some interesting takes. Thanks so much for being here, Kurt. What were your sort of standout favorite movies from 2023? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there was quite a few that were uh, good highlights. I think probably my favorite of the year was Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, which at the time they called it part one, but now I think they're just calling it Dead Reckoning. But uh, yeah, it was the uh, latest film in the uh, franchise Mission Impossible, and uh, it it entertained just as thoroughly as the uh, other ones have, if not more so. See, that's really interesting because I saw it. I was really, really excited about it. Huge Tom Cruise fan, huge Mission Impossible franchise fan, and I actually maybe was a little bit like, I don't know if it was just too much of same, same, or, and I know it wasn't exactly that. One of the things I didn't love about it was that the villain is, is like an AI, you know, that didn't do it as yeah. much for me. And I also, I'd, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. Cause there was, this was kind of a storyline in, in movie world was, you know, Tom Cruise pushed so heavily for theaters and, and the big movie theater experience. And then not too long after Dead Reckoning came out, we had Barbenheimer, which stole a lot of the summer movie glory. Yeah, for sure. And I think a big part of that, too, is uh, Tom Cruise, I think, saw what was happening with the strikes going on in Hollywood and how that was going to affect the promotions of the movie. So I, I kind of don't blame him for trying to hustle to promote his movie, because obviously that's a big part of how he makes his money is the success of the movie. But, uh, yeah, the movie didn't do too well because I think, yeah, he just wasn't able to really market it the same way he has his previous movies. Again, partially because of the uh, uh, results of the uh, different strikes that were going on in Hollywood there. Yeah, okay. So you like Dead Reckoning. Uh, What else? What else made your list? Yeah, so I think my second favorite movie of the year was The Holdovers. Uh, This is a uh, movie that kind of came out later in the year. Uh, Ironically enough, it's kind of been embraced Christmas movie, uh, but basically it's the story of a uh, kind of curmudgeonly uh, teacher at a prep school who's kind of forced to stay behind and look after some kids that uh, don't have somewhere to go for the holidays. And, you know, at the beginning, it's a very hostile kind of, they're not meet, seeing eye to eye, but over time they kind of find ways to relate to each other and find ways to kind of bond over the holiday period. And it's just a really well-written script. Uh, the acting in it is phenomenal. Paul Giamatti is the lead, and he's a great actor as always. Uh, but even like some of the lesser-known actors in this, some of them, this is their first time acting in any movie. They steal the show as well. So it's a really fantastic movie. Even if you watch it outside of the holiday season, it's probably one of the best movies of the year. Yeah, this was on a lot of people's lists. I noticed that uh, Barack Obama, he just released his movies of 2023. It's on his list. And um, yeah, I think it kind of has this sort of sweet kind of, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm really, really excited about it. And again, it's like kind of getting this, getting this universal acclaim. It seems very um, genuine and sincere. And it sort of has like the way that the trailer is cut, it kind of feels like this late 80s, early 90s kind of feel to it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, and they even kind of pull a lot of the... Uh, like when you see your, the movie at the beginning, you'll see like the studio logos and stuff. They even pulled a lot of those from like the seventies and stuff to kind of just give it that feeling that you're watching that movie in that era of like, yeah, like a seventies, eighties ish kind of movie. 
And yeah, like it's really cool. They kind of really try to sell you on the uh, kind of atmosphere of this movie. Yeah, well, and like, why? Why is that? Just to that, they just want to make that part of the experience for the moviegoer. Exactly. I mean, the thing is, when you, this movie starts up and you see those kind of old school logos, it instantly kind of gets you in the mood. You kind of already know what kind of vibe this movie's going for. So it's a really great way of just kind of setting the mood in just a really simple way. I mean, you could easily just show the more modern logos and stuff, but hey. Why not go a little old school and kind of give people a bit of an expectation of what to expect from this movie? Okay, I love it. Yeah, it looks really, really great. What What else? Do you have anything else? What else is on your list? Yeah, for sure. Uh, John Wick Chapter 4. I mean, John Wick always reliably entertains. Chapter 4 is no different. Uh, you know, don't want to spoil too much of what happens in it if you haven't seen it, but it's just a really fantastic movie. And, I mean, from start to finish, there's so many great, memorable action sequences that even now, like, I saw it at the beginning of the year, and even now at the end, like I still think of some of those action sequences. They were just so well done, so memorable in so many ways. Uh, don't know where they're going to take the franchise now. That kind of leaves a lot of question marks as to what they could do with the franchise now, but I'm really curious to see what they do next. Yeah, absolutely. John Wick, very, you know what you're going to get, and uh, you definitely get it. Keanu Reeves, you know, everybody loves him. Okay, let's keep going. What else? Let's do, let, so we've got, I think that's your top three. Let's do uh, top five. Give me two more. For sure. Uh, the Boy and the Heron is my fourth movie, uh, fourth best movie of the year. And yeah, it's a Studio Ghibli movie, so these movies, you've probably seen a lot of them before. Uh, the Boy and the Heron is the latest. Uh, they keep counting it as uh, Miyazaki, who's the creator of these movies. It's the last movie, although I kind of have doubts every time these movies do well, they seem to want to drag them back <laughs> to make another movie. But uh, The Boy and the Heron is really great. It's... Uh, story of a young boy who loses his mother and he goes kind of on a path to find his mother uh who maybe maybe not she's still around there's a lot of question marks and he goes kind of on this like fantastical journey and it's all done in that studio ghibli style where it's all just super beautifully well made uh very good animation style uh there's different ways you can watch the movie you can watch it with the japanese language with the english subtitles or you can watch it with the english dub Either way you watch it, I find I watched both versions, and it was just still a fantastic watch either way. Okay, and what, what's your fifth best movie? Fifth would probably be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, which some people might find controversial because we also had another great animated movie this year, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. But for me, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem just had such a more cohesive style. And not only that, but it was just a fun movie. Uh, if you're a big Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan, this movie definitely kind of harkens back to that. I, they hire teenagers to play all of the Ninja Turtles, so even in all of their dialogue, they kind of cut over each other. They, you know, use kind of words that like a teenager would use. Like it's very selling of the idea that you're watching a bunch of teenagers fight crime. Yeah, uh, for a lot of people have put that on their list for sort of that reason, and you know, Seth Rogen was behind a lot of that, and uh, obviously he's a big fan of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This felt like a really sort of authentic telling of of what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles should be, right? Hundred percent, yeah. Very cool. Okay, uh, notably absent from your list, Kurt. Uh, my favorite movie of the year was Oppenheimer. I, I like that movie. It was just a little bit outside. I would have probably placed it like in the top fifteen of the year, but uh, still up there. I mean, but yeah, uh, I found there was just a few movies that kind of just 
eked it out a little bit, but that was also a really good movie. Yeah, I really liked it. I just thought that it did all the things that it wanted to do really, really well. A little bit long, and I know that you know the content is not what everybody looks for in a great film, but that was on on my list. And I think one that a lot of people, even around the office here, we were kind of talking about it, um, the Barbie movie. Where did that land on your list? Uh, that was a little bit lower. I did really appreciate what they were doing with that movie. I think in my top 25 of the year, I usually do like a top 25. It was like somewhere in the 20 uh, mark. I mean, it was a good movie. I did feel like sometimes it was a little aggressive in its messaging and just a little too much. But, I mean, it's such a cool movie to see people kind of using the old school production style to kind of tell a movie in 2023. So I thought it was a really great movie. Yeah, what I loved about it was it was, you know, a summer movie blockbuster that I think a lot of people really doubted. It, you know, it took so many years and was sort of re um, had, to, had to be restarted so many times with different leads and different directors and different visions. And eventually it gets off the ground and ends up becoming this, you know, billion dollar smash that is not a superhero movie, is not a Star Wars movie, you know, it's not some blockbuster sequel or anything, and it's, it's um, yeah, it's sort of subversive, and it did so well, I mean, the cast did incredible, you know, like, they're not, like, Margot Robbie is not, you know, we don't think of her as, like, this brilliant actress, I mean, she's very good at what she does, but all of, I think everybody just landed it so well, and, and I think that it was a really, really pleasant surprise for a lot of people. Those are kind of, like, some of the big movie stories of the year. I thought the Barbie one was big. Oh, for sure. I think it was definitely one of the top grossing movies of the year, so even a Aside from critical acclaim, it was the one that most people went out to go see. Scott Johnson for Mike Smith this week. We're recapping some of our favorite things of 2023, as this is our last show of 2023. Talking with Kurt Smakel about the worst movies now. We ran down some of the best movies of 2023 before the break. But, Kurt, what were some of the movies that you disliked? Your your list of the worst movies of 2023. Uh, yeah, there were some movies that really just came out of the gate, kind of stinking up a storm. Uh, probably for me, Rebel Moon is up there for sure. Uh, this is the new Zack Snyder movie. Uh, it's skipping theaters and went straight to Netflix, but I would argue even though it's super accessible, you can watch it in your home, you might want to just skip it and go watch something else. Yeah, uh, it, the story seems, was bl- it seems really complicated, okay. right? I, I just found that the characters were not interesting. The plot was pretty dull. Uh, Zack Snyder does like to use slow mo a lot, and sometimes that can be fun. Uh, but other times it just feels very kind of dull and boring. It's sort of like when any kind of director relies on any kind of style way too much. You're just like, okay, I get it. You really like slow mo, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I just and he's already talking about there being different cuts of the movie that might be better, and I'm like, I'm sorry, you already lost me at this first cut. I don't know if I'm gonna be interested to watch another two or three cuts of this movie to see if it maybe catches my interest. So uh, it's been resonating with a lot of people. I think a lot of people are just finding this movie to be just a little bit too bloated, a little too boring and a little too dull. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I know that there's some, some intellectual property behind it and it's sort of based on some, you know, yeah, like, the story was already out there uh, and there's a sequel coming and stuff but for whatever reason it didn't grab me either and there's some actors in there that I really really like like Charlie Hunnam is a favorite of mine and and uh, I still have no desire to see it as well so okay what else what else was on your on your panned list uh, yeah Aquaman of the Lost Kingdom uh, spoilers for this list but Warner Brothers and their DC movies this year were not big hits for me 
Uh, Aquaman the Lost Kingdom just came out, and uh, it was a real stinker. I mean, bear in mind, I was watching this movie under the best possible circumstances. I was at Landmark. They have those nice, comfy, reclining seats. There was really no reason for me to not enjoy this movie. Like, the tournament was there, and even then, I still just I was getting bored out of my mind. I almost walked out halfway through because the story was just dull and boring. The CGI was just... I don't know, it was uninspired, uninteresting, and uh, as much as, you know, maybe some people like Jason Momoa, I think he's a good actor, he has a lot of roles he's been really good in, this just wasn't one of them, and uh, yeah, I just, I was ready to leave that theater by the time the credits started rolling. Okay, and what else? Uh, Yeah, the Expendables 4 that also came out this year, uh, came out around the same time as uh, John Wick, and uh, I think it just got buried by John Wick, but also too, uh, they just make some really bad choices with that movie. I I'll be the first to admit I kind of like the Expendables movie sometimes. Like sometimes those movies can just be fun to put on, but the fourth one just kind of it really made some bad decisions in terms of what they do with some of the characters and the plot and stuff. And I, from what I've heard from other people, not even just myself, it's just the movie lost people when they decided to uh, kill off certain characters. Okay. Yeah. Expendables. I kind of agree with you there. I, you know, I think it kind of, it had, it ran its course, you know, I didn't, I didn't even know that they were making a fourth one, but okay, we'll skip that. And what else? Give me another, another skip. I think this will be your fourth. Let's do four and five. Yeah, for sure. The fourth would be the flash. Uh, This was a movie that was in development hell for a long time. Most people don't even realize this, but the movie and the Flash TV show got announced around the same time. And that show ran for like 10 seasons, just ended, and then we finally got this movie. So it's been around for a, quite a long time in development. By the time they finally put it out, you had all the issues with Ezra Miller. Uh, the story went through various rewrites, and it's just a mess. Uh, there's maybe some cool stuff where they kind of harken back to Man of Steel, the original DC uh, extended universe movie that they came out with, with Black Snyder, funny enough. But reality is, is this movie is totally skippable. You don't need to spend a whole lot of time watching it. It just never really caught my attention. And uh, there's some really bad CGI in that movie that really just kind of takes you out of it. Yeah, the CGI I definitely noticed. And I it really felt like they were pulling too hard on the nostalgia thing with having Michael Keaton in there. Like if you're in your late thirties or early forties or late in your forties, you probably have a soft spot for Michael Keaton's Batman. And you know, they put him in there and everybody just was like, Whoa, Michael Keaton is back as Batman. And it drew a whole bunch of people in. And yeah, to your point, the movie didn't really fulfill on any of those promises. No, no. I think for me, what lost me was him doing uh, action scenes that, seemed like somebody would be doing them like a half or a quarter of a stage, but, uh, you know, I don't know if he'd be moving that quickly, but hey, you know, maybe he's doing some kind of cardio that we don't know about. Sure. Uh, and then, yeah, my fifth uh, least favorite movie was uh, Shazam Fury of the Gods. Again, Warner Brothers and DC movies. I mean, a lot of people like to point to these movies as being one of the reasons why superhero movies just had a really bad year this year. I mean, uh, Disney had some as well, but I felt like Disney's movies were slightly more enjoyable. Uh, Shazam Fury of the Gods was just a complete misfire. And I think what a lot of people got upset by was they brought back uh, Henry Cavill Superman for that movie uh, with an empty promise that they're not going to actually do anything with his character again. So it just really felt like a real cheap bait and switch to get people to go see their movie. But at the end of the day, if you go watch that movie, it seems like a movie that should have been out maybe like back in like 2008, 2010, something like that. It really shows its age. 
and uh, definitely not a movie worth seeing. Okay. And uh, we'll wrap it up with this, but tell me what one movie that you're most excited for in 2024 is. Yeah, I mean, it's hard because a lot of the movies got pushed into 2025, but I think like, for me, Deadpool 3 uh, looks to be the the most interesting movie. I mean, they're bringing back a bunch of the Fox X-Men characters, including the movie, uh, characters from like the Brian Singer X-Men movies and a bunch of others. And I think it's going to kind of be like Spider-Man No Way Home, but with those characters where you're just going to bring back a bunch of these actors and characters for just this big action spectacle. Uh, you know, people have been kind of a little bit down on the Disney Marvel movies lately, but I think this one might turn it around. Disney's putting in a lot of effort to make this a good one, so I think it's going to be a really great time at the movies. Yeah, and Ryan Reynolds is almost always a sure bet, so that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, looking forward to it and uh, some great picks and some things to avoid. Thanks so much for your time this morning, Kurt. Really appreciate it, and uh, happy movie watching in the new year. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Welcome back to the Mike Smith Show. My name is Scott Schantz. I'm filling in this week. It's the last show of 2023. New Year's Eve is on Sunday, Monday, New Year's Day, of course. And we're recapping some of the favorite things that happened in 2023. We talked about movies, music, some big news stories, that type of thing. And one of the things that I don't think we can uh, just let lie is sports, sports in our city. And Vancouver kind of has like a fair weather relationship with the sports here. When we're winning, everyone loves it. People love to get on the bandwagon and celebrate and cheer. And when we're losing, people either react aggressively uh, or just completely disassociate and don't really care at all. And 2023 has been a really interesting year because the Canucks, like they started the year, our hockey team, the Vancouver Canucks, they started the year terribly. The year ended with the Canucks like missing the playoffs and it was just this like, you know, where, what are the Canucks going to be like? Uh, Bruce, there was the Bruce Boudreaux thing, new coach Rick Tockett off season. How are the Canucks going to look going into this new season? And then it, it was like a completely different team. The first place in the entire NHL best overall top points getters, Vancouver Canucks are back. No one expected this. What a story. Are they going to make the playoffs? Are they maybe even going to win the Stanley cup? I know that sounds ridiculous, but other people other than me are asking those questions. So here now to weigh in and probably give us a more realistic take on the Canucks and all things sports in Vancouver is Rob Williams. He's a sports editor for the Daily Hive. You've been on the show a whole bunch. Always love chatting with you. Good morning, Rob. Happy New Year. How are you? Hey, Scott. I'm doing great. Uh, Yeah, no, I I think uh, a lot of people are maybe scared to ask those kinds of questions. uh, You know, like, how good is this team? Do they actually have a chance? Uh, but it's it, regardless if it, if they're for real or if they're not for real, it, what a wonderful time it is to actually be able to talk about, uh, you know, the Canucks winning and how good they can be rather than the conversation uh, like it has been, uh, you know, for most of the last decade in, in Vancouver. Yeah. And I think one of the questions that like I have been asked by non-sports fans, and I think a lot of people in the city are probably asking is what happened you know, it's it's not like the team traded uh, 10 core pieces for 10 different core pieces. It's not like, you know, they all ate their spinach or something. We went from being, you know, the dregs of the of the league to the darlings of the league in one off season. What happened there? Yeah, it's funny. I feel like the, it, it, you, you see different times of the year where 
you know, I kind of gauge how interested kind of the general population is in, in with the Canucks, not just, you know, the, the crazy uh, Canucks fans that I, that I talk to uh, on, a, on a daily basis. And I feel like it's starting to come a little bit more now where people are like, Hey, wait a minute, the Canucks are actually good now. And, and yeah, they are like, uh, you know, so much has happened in the, you know, so much has gone right for the Canucks this season. I think it starts with their, their head coach, Rick Tockett has, has been the, the perfect fit for them. The, the players are buying into what he's selling. It began with at the tail end of last season when he encouraged everyone to have a uh, big summer, you know, ha- you know, getting a, a great summer of training and having a lot of focus and dedication to improving their game uh, over the summer months. Uh, the guy that I think who had the best summer has to be Brock Besser. He's come back as a, he's a new man. I mean, he's, he's on pace to, to score, you know, upwards of 50 goals this season. And, you know, prior to the, to the start of this season, I think people were starting to give up hope that he ever scored 30. So to see Brock Besser at the top of his game being among the league leaders in goals, that's been a, a big revelation. Aside from that, it's been, you know, all their star players are kind of all hitting it all at the same time. Uh, Thatcher Demko's in the running to, to win the Vezina Trophy is the, the league's top goaltender. Quinn Hughes is probably the favorite to win the Norris Trophy, the league's top defenseman. Uh, you know, he seems to have taken a, a step after being named captain this season. Uh, Elias Pettersson, JT Miller among the league's uh, top, top uh, point getters uh, at the moment. And then aside from that, it's been a lot of like little moves that, that GM Patrick Alvin made over the summer and, and, and into September uh, you know, just adding players along the fringes, adding depth pieces on defense and, and depth pieces up forward. And those players have, have really fit in well uh, to what the Canucks are doing and uh, providing a lot of support for the star players. Yeah, absolutely. And I like you said, I don't like how you said it off the top that we're kind of scared to talk about, you know, how good the team could be. But you and I both are on the Canucks Reddit thread and probably you're on the NHL Reddit thread as yeah. well, where a lot of people comment about these things. And someone else, someone not from Vancouver posted like, hey, who, who could we potentially see in a, in a Stanley Cup final and like there were people not from Vancouver who are not Canucks fans who were like I don't know like Vancouver is like a realistic option here I mean I think to deny that they're going to make the playoffs is ridiculous like they're definitely making the playoffs and there really is a chance we know that once you get into the playoffs it's a whole different thing anything can happen and and yeah like wouldn't that be something right I mean I don't want to get too far (laughs) ahead of myself but wouldn't that be something yeah, I mean, look, look, they're so you know at the moment they're they're leading the Pacific Division. They're second in the overall standings in the NHL. It's been a fantastic start to the season. You know, as we know, like like a, there's a big difference between being at the top of the league in December and being at the top of the league in June. Uh, playoff hockey is a whole different animal, and we'll see how how they respond and and how they uh, continue for the rest of the of the season. With that said, you know, like I don't think they're like a top pick to win the Stanley Cup. Like they're not like a top five pick, but are they top 10? I think they are. I mean, I, I don't think there's, uh, you know, like 15 to 20 teams that have a better chance to win the Stanley Cup than the Canucks this year. So, you know, in saying that, like they're in the playoffs, they would have to go through Vegas. That would be, you know, the defending champs. I think Vegas would certainly be a heavy favorite if they, if they got mashed up against them. Even the LA Kings have had a, a really good season. And I think uh, a lot of people would say that they're probably 
you know, probably more battle tested and, and uh, maybe ready to take the next step than the Canucks. But stranger things have happened. And, and, and when you look at what the Canucks have this season, they, they have the top end star talent at every position and they have the depth. I think there's, if, if you were to, to nitpick and, and look at a, an area where they can improve, I think they would love to add another top four defenseman um, really to solidify that aspect of their game. But there's otherwise, there's, you know, and, and get better on the penalty kill. But otherwise, there's not a ton of holes in their game. And I think there's, there's every reason to be really optimistic about the Canucks down the stretch and you know and, and based on what the expectations were coming into the season it, you know the goal was just to make the playoffs and they look like they're they sh- you know barring a, a, a monumental collapse they should cruise into the playoffs this season so now we're kind of looking on to that next thing like what else can they do and and uh, you know that's really exciting yeah absolutely it's a great time to be a fan and hey like top 10 in the top 10 to make the to maybe have a run at the cup like i'll take it absolutely but there were some <laughs> other uh big stories in vancouver sports over the year the lions had a great season uh it wasn't too long ago that it was vanny sartini versus the refs uh you know like there have been some other stories around the white caps and the canucks and stuff uh, what other stories stick out to you from 2023 in our sports world we had tennis here there were lots of big things yeah oh yeah i mean it's been a uh it's been a really positive season. Um, you know, I, I would say particularly with the Vancouver Whitecaps and, and the BC Lions, this was the first time since the Whitecaps entered MLS in 2011 that both the Lions and the Whitecaps made the playoffs and had winning records. So there's, there's been years where, where, you know, the Whitecaps kind of had a losing record and made the playoffs, so the Lions had a losing record and made the playoffs. This is the first time where they actually both had good teams and made the playoffs. Um, you know, I think the, the Lions with their new owner, Amar Doman, have really changed the conversation around their club uh, now. Like, the Lions are cool again, and it's been a long time, I think, since we can say that. Uh, their attendance has, has uh, steadily increased. They they had over 30,000 people uh, for their games on, on two occasions this year. And their, their attendance was at a, uh, at a high over 23,000 people. That's more than they've had in, in many, many years uh, at BC place. So that's really exciting to see the, the white cats. I think were a, a little bit flew a little bit more under the radar. I think they're, you know, a really exciting uh, team and, and, you know, played a, a really fun brand of soccer and, and, uh, and also were, you know, among the contenders in the Western conference this season. Uh, they also opened up the, the upper bowl for the first time uh, for their playoff match. And, and, uh, you know, and I think there's a lot of good things to come for both of those teams in 2024. And I think that's something that's really exciting. You know, I know we're looking back at 2023, but geez, Look at look ahead to 2024. The, the Lions are hosting the Grey Cup. Uh, the White Caps are going to be hosting Lionel Messi. That's going to be a, a spectacle. And uh, and we should, you know, as, as we spoke about, you know, there should be playoff hockey coming back uh, for the Canucks. Yeah, it's going to be a really exciting year. The Messi story was one that's on my radar as well. Like that, you know, could this be the first time that a soccer match at BC Place sells out every single seat? I, absolutely. I, I, I would be... Uh, I would be shocked if they if they didn't. I mean, uh, Messi coming to Vancouver, like we're going to see like some expensive ticket. Pr- if, yeah. if they don't if they don't jack up the prices <laughs> for that 
that game on its own. I think we'll see some pretty sky high prices on the secondary market. So, th- so that's that's going to be uh, uh, something that's really fun. And before I forget as well, the Vancouver Canadians won their fifth championship in, in franchise history uh, this year as well. So that's another uh, another thing. So we didn't get we didn't get a title to to the to the city of Vancouver as well. Very cool. Uh, Rob, uh, sorry, excuse me. Uh, Rob is the uh, national, sorry, Rob Williams, sports (laughs) editor from Daily Hive. Uh, Just drew a blank there for a second. Always great to have you, Rob. Thanks so much for recapping 2023 with us. And uh, we look forward to some winning here in Vancouver and all of our sports teams and sports leagues in 2024. Great to have you, man. Have a happy new year. Fingers crossed. Thanks. You too. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.